Bonjour Tansé. Welcome to Mino Gundagan, the Good Voice Podcast, a show exploring reconciliation from an Indigenous perspective. I'm your host, Tim Fontaine. On this episode, we speak with some of the strongest voices in the media industry. We pose the question, has reconciliation happened in the media? Has it happened within the lives of these personalities? Stick around to find out. Our first guest is David McLeod, the Ojibwe and Métis General Manager of Native Communications Incorporated, or NCI, which operates a provincial radio network via 57 transmitters. David has written and directed three series of children's programs for NCI, which appeared on CBC Manitoba North. In 2002, he received the Canadian Aboriginal Music Award for his contributions in promoting Aboriginal music. Hi, my name is Sasha Mark, and welcome to the Minogondagan podcast. With us, we have Dave McLeod. He is the CEO of NCI Radio. Thank, thank you for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I uh, Yeah, it's nice to see you. Always nice to see you. Is it? <laughs> well, you're on stage, and uh, you're delivering your humor. I mean, I just, I, 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 I always appreciate what you do. Thank you. We're here to talk about you and talk with you. Uh, for the folks that don't know who David McLeod is, who are you? I guess some people would call me that, that NCI guy is what I guess. <laughs> hey, there's that NCI guy. Or there's that APTN guy. I'm very community orientated and I've been working in the media for, oh my gosh, like about 30 years. So I, I work as CEO of Native Communications Incorporated, which is a, a provincial radio network, 57 transmitters from Winnipeg all the way to Churchill. You know, and, and Native Communications, obviously, we're, we're an indigenous uh, entity. We also have Now Country 1047, which is a, more of a commercial kind of sound, but really connected to the grassroots uh, country uh, music community. And then I'm on the board with APTN, which which is the Aboriginal People's Television Network, which I'm sure uh, a lot of uh, listeners are, are familiar with. And I've been informally on the board with Manitoba Film, Film and Music. I'm on the board with Winnipeg International Writers Festival and also with the Winnipeg Folk Festival as well. Very interested in what's going on in our community, literary community as well. You talk a lot about community. Were you born and raised in Winnipeg? or uh, No, my, well, my family comes from, uh, I'm a member of the Pine Creek First Nation, mm-hmm. which is it's about an hour north of Dauphin. My mom's family originates from that community. My dad's family originates from the uh, Métis community that's located right beside Pine Creek. It's a village of Camperville. So yeah, so as a kid, I I had a foot in both worlds, the First Nations community, Métis community. And I think it's actually actually really been a really good experience that's led me to the position I'm in right now. Just just because I've I've had that experience of both communities and grew up up north in uh, Thompson. My dad got a job there when I was a kid. And uh, so I, I grew up in Thompson. Uh, I trained in media at State Southern Alberta Institute of Technology in Calgary. I also did television training as well on uh, documentary making at Ryerson in Toronto. So that was a while ago, but certainly that those you know getting getting uh, getting education in media is really important. And and mm-hmm. that was yeah, it started out as a lark for me, just really brief. I was working and doing social work kind of as a career, and then I, I switched over when I connected with doing a cable show on TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the cable show, I was like, I really like this. Yeah. And, and uh, it didn't feel like work, and I kept doing it a lot. And uh, that was that was part of what got me into uh, media. It's about getting stories. Is mm-hmm. what it's about and connecting with people. So I'm a people person. Yeah. And uh, and I always feel like I've never learned enough, right? Mm-hmm. People in, and within our community particularly are very open. And uh, yeah. at times you can, you know, people, when indigenous people are with each other in a in a safe environment, I mean, you're, you're just going to hear all kinds of stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I never get tired of them. So for you, how did you and NCI 
come about? Well, NCI, like it, like it started in September of 1971, and it, and it started in uh, you know in Thompson, Manitoba. It has roots in the Paw as well, mm-hmm. and 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 it comes from a place where people did not have a voice. Um, you know, you look at mainstream media. Uh, it made its way in radio. Basically, it was um, the 50s. Uh, early 50s, 60s, where radio started making its way throughout all regions of the country, particularly in the north. Uh, CBC, of course, is, uh, was was the first to, lot of, to put up a lot of transmitters up in the north. But really, there wasn't the, the languages of the north. There wasn't uh, uh, representation on air, the person behind the microphone uh, or behind the camera, if it was uh, film or television, that was telling those stories. So there's a lot of misinterpretations, mis, uh, a lot of misinformation, a lot of stereotypes, a lot of, you know, just just not telling the true story of the indigenous people, indigenous communities. So that interests me very much because mm-hmm. there's a whole... And, and, and I think there's such a limited scope um, in early media of indigenous people that people... And, and that, that limited scope lasted for, gosh, like decades, especially when it came to indigenous news. If it was indigenous news story, usually it was negative. And, um, you know, it was uh, it was just portraying like social problems, poverty, you know, things like that. It was uh, it wasn't telling the full story, Mm -hmm. even in even when there was tragic stories, it wasn't the whole story. And in our community, we like we like talking and sharing length, lengthy stories where you know, mainstream media, you're doing sound bites and, and uh, you're ultimately telling stories to get ratings. Yeah. And unfortunately, usually it's the negative stories that, that people will receive. And also they usually kind of tie into stereotypes as well. Do you think media is moving forward in a positive direction in representing indigenous culture? Well, I think that the media, like like media itself... Like media is a really important player, particularly to like newcomers um, that 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 are that are new in Canada to sharing information and to young people as well. Some older people are set in their ways and they're not going to change in terms of the perceptions. And sometimes you have to look back at the history of that. If you've been raised with those cowboys and Indian movies, if you've been raised with negative portrayal in the media for years and years and years, eventually that sets a pathway in your brain that you're not going to move away from and mm-hmm. it's going to be difficult. So a lot of young people are the target right now, I think, that, that in terms of like growth happening and understanding mm-hmm. happening so i think it's young people and there is a segment of the older population that see wrongs historic wrongs from the past and want them rights uh, want to make them right and want their kids their grandkids to have a better understanding of history so when when you when i've gone to events generally what i've seen in the progressive crowd is usually older mm-hmm. uh, gray hair and or young university university age seeking that knowledge within the community so i see that as a segment uh, of the population mostly that that's looking for uh understanding and truth when like say residential schools are being reported upon and the atrocities that occurred and the wrongs that are going on they uh, you know journalism sometimes journalists sometimes turn into almost like activists mm-hmm. when you tell those stories and and there's a building a buildup of trust that's uh, still needs to be made with particularly in the north with with uh, mainstream media 
So that relationship needs to be strengthened. And I will say there's the flip side of it too, where I've seen some mainstream media, when they talk, when people talk about residential school, will have their own fact checkers in a sense portray, oh, well, this statistic could be wrong. Not all, you know, like resident, not all children, residential schools, they did go home on weekends. So it, so sometimes the, the media does a disservice still yeah. in terms of what, how it looks at uh, media, but there, but there are, there have been great strides forward, which I'm so happy to see. And, and it's giving indigenous people our own voices, not saying, this is what happened and, and trying to tell the whole story for us. Yeah. It's really important for indigenous people to be recognized, for their nation to be recognized, for their community to be recognized, their culture, because it, there's so much of that in Canada. That relationship, I guess, is, 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 is moving forward. And that's exciting to see, too. In terms of that, too, what is your personal stance on the term reconciliation? That's you know, the, the whole word, like the word reconciliation, like it's, it's uh, for some people, it's very overwhelming mm-hmm. because you, you have to open up your mind and you have to open up your heart and you have to go to some difficult places. I've been involved with a few events that have to, that, that cover that topic of reconciliation. You know, you get everything from reconciliation is, is, is righting a wrong to reconciliation is making an inner change in yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I, I don't think there's one right or wrong definition. Small steps can actually become large steps as well. Yeah. So the work that you do, what do you want to see the outcome of your work to be? Indigenous voice out there. Yeah. Like, like we, we have a library of tapes right now we're going through with elders that have been interviewed in northern Manitoba on video. And there's like mm-hmm. over 100 interviews with elders telling stories. And I'd like those, like people to recognize those, to hear those, to, to, um, to learn from them as well. Um, so, you know, it's like, like the Winnipeg Folk Festival, for example, like having, um, indigenous acts, uh, have an opportunity, not just to sing songs, but to share their stories. Yeah. And, and you see audiences walking away thinking, saying that was the most, that was the best show I've seen. And sometimes it's not about the music. It's about gaining understanding. You know, you, you get an artist like Leonard Sumner, um, you know, talking, talking about, uh, uh, the history, but from a personal point of view. So it's not a textbook. It's more like life experiences, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so I think I, th- I think that's really important is just uh, having people, an opportunity for people to share those stories and for people to listen to them too. Yeah. Um, because it's like if you question and challenge, you know, a lot, a lot hasn't been shared. And I think media is improving. I mean, you see some of the work CBC is doing they're 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 bringing programs forward and they're finding out that hey people do want to listen and learn so um so it's great great to see that uh on many many uh on many levels what is your um way of thinking when it comes to the relationship of reconciliation and reaching to that point with media is it, like do you think that's a, a huge factor well and you know what you i know? think i think like reconciliation is so huge i mean it's like there's 94 mm-hmm. calls to action as you know and, yeah. and it involves like 
if you if you read through it, which I have, and I think that's actually the first step is reading through those 94 calls to action, because then you realize that you know it's it's at a business level, education level, health level, um, you know, youth, uh, women, um, it's justice. So it goes, you know, it's it's every segment of life that we live uh, involves reconciliation. And, you know, people discovering their culture, I never get tired of that. Ch it changes their lives, it changes people's lives to know they're connected to a larger community as well. So, and, and, uh, and also people that are in mainstream, um, you know, it's almost like, like your field, like comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and you see like, you know, Paul Roblowskis, uh, go out and headline shows and do really well with mainstream. Now, this is the this is the thing. He's not there to be an ambassador for native people, but it's kind of thrust upon him. And that's something I think I found with musicians and you know, it could be doctors, it could be it could be any profession where people feel that they uh, you know, I'm not here to be ambassador. And some people like that and some people aren't. That's not their driving force. But I think we all play a role and to some degree. Um, yeah, so I think it's our time right now. Within the next five, ten years, I think the indigenous uh, arts community, the every 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 part of our community is just is on the rise. So uh, it's a great time to be a young person right now mm -hmm. because there's there's a lot of people that young people that don't have the baggage, some of the baggage that some of the older folks. Uh, like myself, have gone through where where you know you're 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 beat up in school every uh, quite often being called the dirty Indian, right? Mm -hmm. Those those attitudes still exist out there, but I think that um, I think things are getting better and have gotten better, particularly for young people having that um, uh, just having that identity uh, ingrained in their in their uh, spirit. And also the gatherings as well. It's very empowering to see our community come together uh, all, all many times, you know. Uh, so I think there's a lot of connections going on. So I'm I'm always uh, appreciative of that. I never get tired of that because it's like because we're we're included. This is uh, you know there's that term all, all my relations, and it speaks to the wider the wider you know that speaks to the the animals and and the elements but but really uh to me that all my relations is is um you know like i you sitting with me like we're part of a community i feel right we're connected and and when you're doing your humor it's some of that speaks to our community so it's and that speaks to that all my relations so um i i really uh I really connect with that a lot. Yeah. Thank you for your words today. Uh, I genuinely uh, appreciate that. Yeah, so uh, no, it's been a pleasure. How how can folks connect with you or support you uh, with the work that you're doing right now? Well, um, we we um, you know our NCI we're a nonprofit radio station. We've been around since '71. You know, listenership is is always great. But I, I think I think just um, you know I think it's just it's making those choices at the right time. Yeah. Um, but if you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Facebook myself personally, my personal Facebook, uh, David McLeod, uh, M small C capital L E O D. Uh, just send me a friend request, and, and uh, I like sharing sharing some things on there, Instagram as well. 
Um, so I, I, I value social media. Do you remember the first time you went on social media? First time I went on social media, um, it was back in... I think I joined Facebook in 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, so, were you nervous about it a little bit? Uh, social media to me, uh, I was like, I never posted anything up until 2012. Wow. So to me, it didn't exist up until that point. So I, I didn't use it. I had it. I just never used it. And um, it's it's always very daunting, you know, yeah. <laughs> to a certain capacity. Well, 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 and I think that for me, the positiveness out in the community, share share some of the positive, it, it kind of combats the negative stories. Yeah. And and um, so I think it's uh, it's been a it can be a really incredible valuable tool. But uh, yeah, so that that would be I think that would be the place to uh, to to make contact there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for your time, like to, to taking the time to come and chat. I wish uh, I wish I, I wish you were talking more actually. What? <laughs> <laughs> I talk enough on stage. All right, a huge thanks to David McLeod for yeah. being on here today. Miigwech. Um, <laughs> Welcome back to Mino Gandegan, the Good Voice Podcast, a show exploring reconciliation from an Indigenous perspective. We just spoke with author David McLeod. Be sure to check out his station at ncifm.com. Up next, our second guest is Adeline Bird, an Afro-Indigenous podcast host and producer of the podcast series Soul Unexpected. She is the author of the self-help book Be Unapologetically You in Winnipeg. Her roots lie in Rolling River First Nation and she currently resides in Winnipeg. Welcome to Miogandagan, the Good Voice Podcast. I'm Alyssa Blackwolf-Kixon, and with me I have Adeline Bird. uh, My name is Adeline Bird. My spirit name is Stronghearted Eagle Woman. I am African and Indigenous. I come from Rolling River First Nations. I uh, grew up in the West End of Winnipeg, the Urban Reserve I'm a podcast producer, co-producer, host. I have a podcast called So Unexpected, which is available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Spreaker.com. Download it right now. Um, and <laughs> I am also a radio host and writer for NCI and Series XM, uh, the Indigenous Music Countdown, and uh, Manitoba's favorite, uh, Friends on Friday. Uh, and I'm also a filmmaker. Uh, I'm an author. I have a book called Be Unapologetically You, a self-love guide for women of color. I wrote that in light of uh, Trayvon Martin and uh, Tina Fontaine. And let me just say that being Afro-Indigenous is exhausting. Tugs, it tugs at my at my being all the time. Yeah. Um, and I, a lot of people will say to me, oh, well, you're more black than you are Indigenous, or you're more Indigenous than you are black. No, I feel both very, mm-hmm. very deep. What sort of inspired you to go down this path of a media guru? I just really feel like when we are looking at media, it is very important for us to be critical about what is being sent to us, what is be- the message that's being sent mm-hmm. to us. It plays a very huge role in our society. It plays a huge role in how uh, certain groups of people of color are portrayed. Do you feel like there's been a shift or any sort of change in terms of Indigenous equity and representation? Absolutely, but we're not being paid for it. The issue is, is mainstream picking us up and seeing us as a value, not as somebody who's just going to come and tell this sob story, mm-hmm. give people trauma porn and go, okay, <laughs> I, I hope all your minds are changed now. I feel like we're not being, our stories aren't being valued. I feel like even just as a filmmaker, 
we're constantly being asked to pour out stories that don't show us in present light because people see us as past tense all the time. Do you feel like you've seen any kind of shift since the 94 Calls to Action came out in terms of media? No. All these movies like Black Panther, Crazy Rich Asians, they're doing really well because they showcase people of color behind the scenes and in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. BIPOC people are on a whole grand of things. We are so needed because we are the majority. As much as as much as this this society tells us we're we're the minority, no 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 no. We are actually the majority. We are the consumers. We are the ones taking in all of this, all of all of this media. That is so true. I um, I've been getting interesting answers when I ask, you know, that question about whether you see your industry shifting, especially after the TRC released the 94 calls to action. And some industries, people are saying, you know, yes, absolutely. I feel like my industry is taking steps, you know, in terms of indigenous equity and representation. And then there are some people who are saying, no, actually not at all. Nothing is changing. Um, There's a lot of sweet talk Mm -hmm. and a lot of, you know, your presence is valid, but just not... No, not where not where it matters and not where it's important. So I think it's good for us to be honest about these things and just to, you know, to be real. One thing I, I, I feel like is a lot of people are they when you when we say these things, they think we're looking to point fingers at somebody. That's not it at all. It's not it's not about pointing fingers and, and blaming one group of people. It's the mentality it's the it's the it's the mindset around people not understanding that you're not the only one with a voice in this society. Yeah. There are other voices in this society. And that's okay. It's called respect. What does reconciliation mean to you right now? Self-determination. You know, the assumption is that we're lazy. The assumption is we don't want to work, we don't want to do anything. That is a lie. That is a lie. We are, I am surrounded by this beautiful community and every single one of us works our butt off. As a people, we already struggle with this. We already struggle with success, the idea of success. For the longest time, I, when I started Soul Unexpected, I was like, who the hell do I think I am? We're ready to do that work. We're ready to do that work. We're not a lazy people. Mm-hmm. We're out here. We're doing things. Look at what we're doing and look at how you can help us. Even that word, that word reconcilia- reconciliation, I feel like it's just getting tossed around for the sake of being tossed around. Mm-hmm. To me, what reconciliation would really look like is listening to our young people. What advice would you pass on to young indigenous folks who see what you're doing and want to do the same things. I would say do it. Start with your community. Start with your community. Start with what with what you know. There are a lot of community resources like Just TV on uh, is Broadway. Broadway. Yep. yep. Um, and then there is Studio 393 yep. in Portage Place. So there are uh, there are a bunch of community outlets that you can start off with. Mm-hmm. Just don't give up. Just yep. don't don't give up. 
figure it out if you uh, if you're not um, maybe you're not you're not a behind the per- a p- behind the mic person mm-hmm. maybe you're someone that wants to be uh, producing turning mm-hmm. on the buttons editing the the content all all of that maybe that's what you want to do but just go and figure figure yourself out one thing I will say is I've I've found the culture through so unexpected it opened up doors for me to sit with people I would have never sat with yeah before you know and just to, to to be able to see that there are Nietzsche's doing amazing positive <laughs> work was so liberating to me because yes. like I shared with you all I come from I come from the West End and I come from a family of gang members a family of of drug abuse um, all all of that and to, that was my reality I thought oh my gosh this is this is this is all that's in front of me but then to sit with people who are doing amazing work. I live a, a positive life because of it. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to even even live a life that is that is positive. Um, and 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 be unapologetic. And you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna say things that are gonna make some people in your community or not in your community mad. Yeah, it's all about growing. It's all about growing. And you know, I feel like a very positive man once said. Um, in the illustrious words of Mr. Bob Ross, <laughs> happy little mistakes, right? We all make them and we, yes. you know, we can learn from them mm-hmm. and we can grow. Adeline, thank you so much for thank being on the for podcast. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Welcome back to Mino Gundagan, the Good Voice Podcast, a show exploring reconciliation from an Indigenous perspective. We just spoke with podcast producer Adeline Bird. Be sure to check out more of her work on her website, adelinebird.com. And finally today, we are joined by our third guest, Negan Sinclair, an Anishinaabe columnist at the Winnipeg Free Press, associate professor at the University of Manitoba, and award-winning author. He hails from Peglas First Nation. And I am here with Negan Sinclair. Bonjour, hello. Negan, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I'm an associate professor here at the University of Manitoba in the Department of Native Studies, and uh, I'm on sabbatical, so I'm not really on campus much. But uh, you caught me on a day that I'm here and yes. um, probably best known right now for being a columnist with the Free Press and Winnipeg Free Press and uh, yeah, upsetting people, making people angry and uh, trying to provoke dialogues and thought on things that are happening, not just in our community, but also nationally. And so yeah. uh, I'm pretty excited about that. It's a totally new world for me, but it's pretty awesome. I really like it a lot. Um, so my own work, I do just finished a graphic novel with a guy out in Alberta, uh, called Redcoats. And, uh, so yeah, just a lot of things, doing a whole bunch of things. You do all the things. Um, Nikon, where do you call home? Uh, well, Winnipeg. Grew up here, was raised in Selkirk, Manitoba. So former site of Pegwis First Nation. Mm-hmm. And as I recall, um, we go back quite a few years. Well, you'd like, like to forget. I, I would love to forget. <laughs> but, yeah, I've known you since uh, I was a high school teacher, so... And since uh, I was in high school. You were, well, sort of one of my students, more part of the improv team that we were we were doing. So you, of course, were a performer and, uh, you know, very active, loud, boisterous young lady. <laughs> and I was uh, a grizzled 25-year-old teacher bitter already but yeah. no I'm not actually no I, I loved high school teaching it was the best time of my life and I was mentored by an incredible teacher named Sylvia Maddox but back then you went uh, by James and you've made 
a name change to... Not really. No, I've always had Negon Way with them. Okay. I just didn't use it legally. And oh, okay. uh, I was actually telling this story to somebody the other day who knew me uh, from a similar time period who mm-hmm. said, uh, why do you go by Negon? Uh, Negon Waywadum is the full version. It means the uh, the light that announces the day or the sound that announces the day. People ask me like, hey, why do you use that name? And uh, why don't you use James anymore? I still use James all the time. Everybody knows me in Selkirk by James. Oh, okay. And uh, a lot of people, my mom still calls me that and so on and so forth. I kind of reached this point in my life in my early 20s where... I began to use it, and I was always told when I was growing up, don't use your traditional name outside of ceremony. Right. And I appreciate that, and I don't mean any disrespect to yeah. anybody when I when I say, uh, I, I just think that that for me is a kind of reminiscent of a time when we were supposed to be ashamed of who we are and yeah. our languages and, and you know hide who we are as Anishinaabe people. And there's a point in the 20s where I just refuse to do that anymore. I yeah. just refuse to do that. I don't know if you remember, but I also had you know hair down to my waist in those yes, days. Yes, I do. And, uh, and I would grow them yet again, but the problem is I'm a mm-hmm. very sweaty person. And so, so whenever I have long hair, I sweat three times more than I already yes. do. That's not a good reason, but that's my reason. <laughs> you know what I tell people a lot is I, I think we forget that we're still in a generation of firsts for many of us. Yes. And what that means is, is like when I was teacher back in the day, you know, yeah. I was the only indigenous teacher in the South End of Winnipeg. You know, for those of us now who are professors and uh, yourself like a comedian and an artist mm. and doing lots of different things. And yeah, we're, st- I don't say we're figuring out. I think that we're just trying to, you know, how do you bring in some of these things that have, have historically ostracized and marginalized us? So yeah. uh, like the University of Manitoba, I mean, we haven't always been welcome here. In many ways, we still aren't welcome here, Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, uh, we continue to sort of figure out ways that we can uh, create dialogue, but also uh, remind people that we're going nowhere. Yeah, we're going nowhere, but we're going everywhere quick. There you go. That should be the tagline <laughs> for this episode. So there you go. But how do you find that your work responds to the calls to action? The calls to action are very dear to my heart for mm. the most part because, of course, my father was involved with the TRC and heading up the TRC. So I was a, I, I got to see the TRC in process and I got to see the calls to action as they were being written. You know, every part of my life in some way has I've seen impacted by the roles of what the calls to action are calling for. So... I mean, there's real formal ways that I do that. So I've written a curriculum uh, for um, Inspire on how to address the 94 calls to action in a classroom. So what lesson plan will address call to action 6 mm-hmm. through 12, for example, uh, which is about education. Um, or, you know, I'm, right now I'm working on a curriculum for people in the workplace to deal with call to action 57 or 90, 92. So, right. You know, which are uh, civil servants, but also people in educational, you know, people in workplaces. Um, in the private industry, how do you deal with the calls to action? But you know, I've dealt with everything. You know, I've uh, I think every single person walking through, experiencing Canada on some level, you 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 understand what the calls to action are all about because you know you were raised in a church or you went to Sunday school, so you know that the, it's important that the Pope make an apology. Yeah, you know that the uh, you've you maybe you've rented a house or bought a house, so you would know that the United Nations Declaration. Uh, uh, is important for us to think about how do we share space or urban reserves or so on. I mean, there's a hundred things you could list off on what goes into my work, but I'd say that probably what applies right now is when I write my columns, the 94 calls to action have been very useful for me because it's a template to show others 
that this work is necessary in all segments of Canadian mm -hmm. society. I think lots of people think reconciliation is a box you just kind of have to check. Right. And you say, no, it actually has to go through all the different segments of society. It's not just in child welfare, but you also yeah. have to look at over-incarceration of young people or you have to look at the, um, you know, treaty acknowledgements are nice at Winnipeg Jet Games, but doesn't actually change any issues of land redress, you know. Right. And so the 94 Calls to Action are kind of trying to promote that conversation on a wider scale, and that's what it's useful for. Um, there was this uh, funny meme going around on the internet that said, you can tell the level of reconciliation by the comment section. I don't agree with that, but I appreciate... Actually, that's a huge conversation happening right now at the Winnipeg Free Press mm -hmm. because uh, they haven't taken a hardline stance like the CBC's taken. And a column that I wrote recently on the Sir John A. Macdonald statue removal out in Victoria has created a lot of angry commenters. They've, they've gotten more angry comments and emails and threats than they've perhaps ever gotten before. Um, on that particular issue. And people are very passionate about it. And mm -hmm. I still got, I got emails this morning about it. You know, the commentary board for me is, it's a site of anonymity. And that's exactly what Charlottesville created. So right. there's always people who are, you know, have a whole lot of hate or fear of change. I think it's just ignorance. I think generally people yes. tend to be good people, but are conditioned to think in racist ways. So... Um, when you get Charlottesville, you get people who feel completely comfortable with saying racist things in public for the most part because that atmosphere of safety has been created. That is the atmosphere of comment boards. The, the atmosphere of comment boards is that you can say absolutely anything and not have any ramifications or consequence to what you say. So you could say things like, you could say things like, I hate all Indians or mm -hmm. Indians are all a bunch of freeloaders. But you could also just insert African Americans in that and, and use the N-word and you'll still have the same amount of impact, which is relatively little, but you're saying it for shock value, you're saying it yeah. for attention. Yeah. When you shine light on that, like we saw with recently with the alt-right in Washington, only 20 people are yeah. have the confidence to come out and say, I'm a racist and mm -hmm. I'm proud of it. And that's what I think the difference is with commentary boards. So as soon as you shine light on it, they'll scatter yeah. because it's not it's not a safe place to be able to, uh, to say really um, derogatory, violent and, you know, genocidal things. So for me, the commentary boards is, it's a tough litmus test for reconciliation because I see all these people doing incredible work out there. Right. But I appreciate what people are trying to say and that it's a safe place for ignorance. How do you feel like your industry has cha changed in terms of Indigenous equity? Well, the free press historically uh, hasn't had a, uh, a very large segment of Indigenous voices there, mm -hmm. um, for the most part because, most markedly, I think it's because newspapers are a shrinking genre. And so uh, if you look at the newsroom, the way that the free press is now, I mean, it's, I would say, uh, maybe one-eighth what it was yeah. back in the 80s and the 90s. If you look at the distributorship alone, on a paper on Saturday, there would be over 230,000 copies. And now they only produce about 120,000. Yeah. And so, I mean, the, the newspaper industry is, you know, halved from what it was. And, and that results in less reporters, less columnists. Less. But in the meantime, Indigenous peoples historically have been disenfranchised from all segments of industry. Uh, having a voice in a major mainstream media as seen in everywhere, CBC, 
uh, global uh, in, until the rise of them, something like APTN, you just don't see a lot of Indigenous people in the media generally. And so the free press has had voices. They've had, um, I think Jordan Wheeler worked there for a while and Rosanna Deerchild. But there wasn't a regular marquee position until until recently, till I've taken it. So I'm filling in for what's known as uh, the city columnist or Gordon Sinclair's. So it's one of their marquee positions, and I'm only there for a year. So I'd say that if the free press is moving, but in moving the same way, I think at the same rate that media is moving. And it's not, uh, you know, being a newspaper columnist isn't something that you tr- often train to be. You often train to be a reporter. Columnist is something a little bit of a different thing. And so there's, uh, that's why I think, you know, having not gone to journalism school, I, I still feel very comfortable being a columnist because yeah. I'm a writer and... So uh, equity in the position, I think, is going at the same rate of everything else, which is frightfully and sadly slow. How would you explain reconciliation? Reconciliation is understanding that relationships are embodied in spaces. If Canada is ever to live up to the name of Kanata, it would mm-hmm. actually you know, live up to what it is, which is the village, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's an Iroquoian word or meaning village meaning that the, the riches of this land are in relationships. They're in the way that we see each other, the way that we treat each other, and most importantly, the way that we share space. Yeah. So reconciliation has to be about land. It has to be about redress of land. It has to be about revitalization of Indigenous languages. It has to be about providing opportunities of safety for young Indigenous women or young Indigenous men and women who mm-hmm. are over-incarcerated and you know, railroaded to prison within the first second of a, of a very um, you know, minute charge. Uh, and so on and so on and so on. Child welfare, I mean, how long could you talk about that? But I mean, ultimately, what I say to audiences is reconciliation is impossible if you don't see young Indigenous peoples as your nieces and nephews. And the way that I look at, and, you know, I think for because Indigenous peoples also have work to do in reconciliation, the way that we look at non-Indigenous peoples, and oftentimes uh, not position them in the very stereotypical way that the term settler has. Yeah. When you keep positioning people as settlers, then you're then you're othering them. And that's yeah. fine. I get it. It's politically important move and it's strategic and and you know as a person who works with language, I get it. I get mm-hmm. why we do that because we need to remind people of their relationships to this territory and and but it comes to a point and that's what the treaties were intended to do. The treaties are eventually intended for us to look at each other and say we are all part of this territory. What does that mean? And obviously, in when we have um, you know ninety nine point nine percent of the land which is taken, stolen, uh, whatever you want to call it, held from us that we have re- historically had relationships with. Clearly, we want to use uh, terms like settlers and other, uh, and yeah. we, we want to say we are not members of the Canadian state. All of that is true, legitimate. Mm-hmm. But at some point, we also want to say, what, at what point do we say we have, a, we have a relationship? And maybe it's not today. Maybe it's not in our lifetime. Maybe it's not ever going to happen, it seems, when we have a you know, prime minister that refuses to, uh, to acquiesce or, or have a relationship or you know, stop tweeting about building pipelines. And I just hope at some point in my ancestors' lives that uh, we have a opportunity to look at one another and say, we, what does it mean now? We, uh, if, we, um, if we truly are going to live in this space equally mm-hmm. meaningfully uh, in a relationship together, that's healthy. Uh, I want to help build that space in my lifetime. To yeah. build something so that we can look at each other and say, well, what does it mean now? Okay. All right, Meek Witch. Okay, gone. I got to go. Yeah. 
Welcome back to Mino Gandegan, the Good Voice podcast, a show exploring reconciliation from an Indigenous perspective. We just spoke with Negan Sinclair. Be sure to check out his latest column at winnipegfreepress.com. Miigwech to all of our guests on this episode, the second in our series. Thank you for sharing your stories and your thoughts on a subject that should be on every Canadian voice, reconciliation. We hope that you've enjoyed our conversation today and will tune into future episodes as we engage in more thought-provoking conversations about reconciliation. We'll close off our episode with a track from Alberta's Ghost Keeper off their album, Sheer Blouse Buffalo Knox. This is Trans Am Sister. Check out more of their music at ghostkeeper.bandcamp.com.
Minogandagan was produced on Treaty 1 territory, the original lands of the Anishinaabek, Nahewak, Ojikri, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Our executive producer is Alyssa Blackwolf-Kixon, our associate producer is Sasha Mark, and I'm your host, Tim Fontaine. Our theme music comes to us courtesy of Boogie the Beat. Check out more of his brilliant work at soundcloud.com forward slash Boogie the Beat. The interstitial music is courtesy of Bloom. You can hear more of their songs at bloom14.bandcamp.com. We would like to thank the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the University of Manitoba's Office of Indigenous Achievement, the National Centre for Truth and Reconciliation, the University of Manitoba Students' Union, and UMFM 101.5 for their support in the production of this series. <laughs>